Lord, take your Bibles. Let's go to Philippians chapter number 3. Paul is getting ready to, as he writes to the church at Philippi, he's getting ready to come to the part to where the rubber kind of meets the road here. We talk about joy. We talk about Philippians being the letter of joy. When we come to Philippians chapter number 3, Paul is now going to move uh, into a place in this chapter where Paul is going to place himself now out into the open uh, for all of them to see and to understand one of the reasons why he speaks of joy. But he also does something else when he begins chapter number three. He issues a warning. There is a warning here. There's a issue that Paul is going to deal with, and that concerns false teachers and false teaching. Nothing has changed since Paul's day. Uh, even the false teachers that were present during Paul's day, we have false teachers today. We have those who want to take what the Scripture says, add things to it, or take things away from it. Or even there are those who say that the Bible is nothing more than just uh, a book that's been written by a bunch of men over a period of a bunch of years, and it's full of nothing but myth or history. And there's really nothing there uh, for us to draw from. Which is, which is false, okay? So Paul is going to start this portion of his letter, and he's going to warn the church at Philippi to beware of the false teachers. And so let's begin in verse 1 and verse 2, and notice what Paul says. He says, finally, my brethren, and let me say this about this. That word finally there does not negate that he has completely finished with the letter. This finally here is more of a transition as he makes his way from chapter 2 as we end chapter 2 and find ourselves in chapter 3. It's more of a transition into what he's getting ready to say. Everything that he has said prior to this is he's talked about being like Christ as he's given us the example of Jesus Christ himself. He's given us some information about Timothy and Epaphroditus. And as he has shared that with us, he finally comes to chapter 3 and he says, Okay, finally, my brethren. He said, This is where the rubber kind of meets the road. He says, and he gives it to us, and he summarizes it in four words. He says, Rejoice in the Lord. There's, there's really no other place to go even today when we look at the situation and we look at things. And we wonder sometimes just how much more difficult things could get. Well, let me say something to you this morning. In summary of it all, just rejoice in the Lord. And let me tell you why. Because God's got things under his control, not ours. And so when we understand and realize that, that this thing is about God, it's about him, it's not about us, uh, kind of gives us a different perspective when we look at things and when we look at life and we look at where things are, we can understand a little bit better and have a little bit more perspective that, hey, God's got this thing, not us. And matter of fact, one of the things that our attention should be focused on while we're serving here is on that that is yet to come. It's the hope of our inheritance. It's eternity. It's what the gospel is all about. That is, that is the end result of one day of us going to spend all of eternity with him. But in the meantime, while we're looking forward to that as believers... We have a work to do here. And so Paul says, finally, my brethren, he says, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is, is no trouble to me. He said, and it's a safeguard for you. But he comes to verse number two, and I want you to notice what he says. He says, beware of the dogs. 
Now for us, we're wondering, well, what in the world did Paul mean by beware of the dogs? Well, we'll talk about that in a little bit more in a, in a little bit more detail in just a minute. Then he says, beware of the evil workers. And then he adds a third one. He says, beware of the false circumcision. You know, this group of false teachers that Paul speaks of in verse number two are those who would mix law and grace together. And there, were a, there was a name that was given to them. They were known as Judaizers. That's who they were known as. They became known as Judaizers, taking the law and taking grace and trying to mix the two of them together and basically taking grace and adding some things to it and said, oh, by the way, you're not truly a believer unless you have been this or you've done this or you've done this. More about adding things to it than anything else. And it's this group of Judaizers that Paul is referring to in in Philippians chapter number 3 and the three terms that he used to refer to them is interesting and that first one is found in the first part of verse number 2 he refers to them as dogs now what in the world is Paul saying he is comparing these false teachers here in verse number 2 to the dirty scavengers so contemptible to decent people and matter of fact in in these cities they would have these scavenger dogs who would go about everywhere just pilfering through everywhere they were scavenging through everything and they were just they were just contemptible they were just they were a pain pretty much to put it and so they were just kind of everywhere and they were all the time just creating difficulty and other things matter of fact they were referred to as troublemakers and carriers of dangerous infection well what a description of these false teachers these judaizers because i'll tell you what they were they were troublemakers and they would also bring about dangerous infection infection of what infection of false teaching infection of self more than the grace of god taking the law and grace and trying to combine the two of them get together to put them together to say that if you want to really want to be a believer then this is what you've got to do and let me caution you with something today there is even false teaching that takes place today that says well it's 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 a good thing you've been saved by grace but in order to know whether or not you fully been saved you need to also do this and you need to do this and you need to do this and matter of fact there is a teaching out there referred to as baptismal regeneration that says you're not truly born again until first of all you have been baptized for the remission of your sin ah wrong okay we're saved by grace through faith alone in christ alone that's how we're saved that's how we become born again false teaching is prevalent even today just as it was during during paul's day but he gives a second identity of these and he calls them evil workers what did he mean by evil workers well paul states that their good works okay are evil works because they're performed by the flesh and not by the spirit in other words, they glorify the workers and not, they don't bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ. And so therefore, Paul refers to them as being evil workers. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Titus chapter 3 and verse number 5. Paul, in writing this letter to Titus, allows us to see and understand the significance of what we have in this grace. It's not about works. It's not about anything that you and I can do or have done. 
It is solely, totally, completely, 100% a result of His grace. Titus chapter 3, and I'll tell you what, let's start in verse number 4, okay? So we're going to back up to verse number 4 because I want to make sure you get the whole entire context. He says, But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. And notice what he says next. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. In other words, of works which we have done. But according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Let me share something with you this morning. It is not about what you and I have done. It is all and totally about what Jesus Christ has done on the, on the cross of Calvary, his resurrection, his ascension to the right hand of the Father. It is all about the completed work of Jesus Christ and nothing else. And so Paul calls them. He said, they're nothing but dogs. He said, they're nothing but evil workers. And then he gives a third description of them. And he refers to them in verse 2 of Philippians chapter 3. He says, beware of the false circumcision. The Judaizers taught that circumcision was essential to salvation. It was necessary. And matter of fact, the council in Jerusalem in Galatians chapter number 2 Peter and Paul had a confrontation about this very issue. Peter, it seems like when you're with the Jews, it's one way. When you're with the Gentiles, it's another way. It can't be that way. Matter of fact, circumcision had become a big issue with inside of the church. So they had the council in Jerusalem to discuss this and to come to a decision that circumcision, circumcision was nothing more than mutilation. And so therefore circumcision was not and should never be a part of grace and Paul stated himself that circumcision of itself is only a mutilation that's all it is so he gives us the contrast in verse 3 if you look at verse 3 of Philippians chapter 3 I want you to notice what Paul writes he says for we're the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. My dear friend, listen to me. It is not based upon our abilities. It's not based upon anything that you and I have. It is solely and strictly based upon the work of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And so when we come to the point to understand and realize it's not about us. This thing's not about you and I. It's all about him. And Paul says, you need to be careful listening to these false teachers who add everything else to this and basically glorify themselves instead of glorifying Jesus Christ. It's about bringing honor and glory to them. My dear friend, it has nothing to do with us, but it has everything to do with him and totally with him. We come to verse 4 through verse 11. What is interesting here is what Paul is going to do now in verse 4 through verse number 11. He's getting ready to basically give us his testimony. We're getting ready to, to see a look into the very 
life of Paul himself. What was it? What was it that drove Paul? What, what was it that, 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 that brought Paul to the point that this joy was such a part of his life? Well, notice verse number 4. Paul writes, he said, Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. And let me say this to you. This is a very intense autobiographical sketch of the life of Paul. And he is going to open it up for everybody to see in writing this letter. So he said, although I might have confidence even in the flesh. He said, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh. He said, if anybody, if anybody could have confidence in the flesh concerning this, he said, it's me. And here's the reason that he was able to do so. He said, I was circumcised on the eighth day. He said, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. He said, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. Let me share, some, let me share something with you. Paul was taught by the best of the rabbis. He knew the law. He was a, he, listen, he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. He knew. There was nobody who knew the law any better than Paul did. As to zeal, let me share this with you this morning. There was no one more zealous of the things of God than Paul was. As to zeal, even though it was misdirected, his zeal was misdirected until he met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. But he was protective of the law. He was zealous to see that the law was held to the T and to the letter. So as to zeal, he was a persecutor of what? Of the church. As to the righteousness which is in the law, he was found blameless. And that's where Paul considered himself. If there was anybody who had any ability or any avenue to boast within himself it was Paul but notice what he says in verse 7 he said but whatever things were gained to me of all of that he said I have counted as lost for who for the sake of Christ that doesn't even measure up there is nothing within myself that could ever begin to measure up to any of that. And I will say this to you. From the world standards, from the standards of success, from a societal and cultural standpoint, there was no one more educated and more gifted or talented than Paul was. But he said, he said, I'll take all of that and move it to the side. He said, I put all of that behind me for the sake of who? For the sake of Jesus Christ. And then look at verse 8. He said, more than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He said, there is nothing, absolutely nothing in this world that will ever compare with me knowing Jesus Christ. And I'll say that, I'll say this to you this morning. Very similar in my own life. There is absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing at all 
in all of my past, in all of the things that I was able to accomplish and come to the point of, there is absolutely nothing in all of that that merits anything near what I found in Jesus Christ. Because I will say this to you this morning. Yeah, there might have been some happiness on occasions, but there was also turmoil and difficulty and stress and all of those things. There was no real sense of joy. I went through the majority of my life with an emptiness inside of my heart that I was attempting to try to fill with everything else that the world had to offer but that very one thing. And the day that I met Jesus Christ face to face, every bit of that changed. And now I knew what it meant to have that longing and emptiness in my heart to be filled. It was filled through the very joy of Jesus Christ himself. And my life has never been the same since then. The same can be true for you. It can be exactly the same way for you. Just as it is for Paul, it can be for you. But my dear friend, listen to me. That choice, that choice comes down to you and what you're going to do with it. How you view life, how you look at life. Paul goes on to say in verse number 8, And count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that day when I get to go home to be with him, either by way of the rapture or by way of the grave. It doesn't really matter to me, but I thought it'd be kind of neat to be in church maybe, preaching and singing and glorifying and praising the Lord when the father says to the son go get your bride and bring her home and we're just kind of out of here how many of y'all kind of like that I would however it doesn't make any difference if I'm standing up here or I'm laying six feet under in the ground you're not going to beat me there we're all going to get there at the same time the dead in Christ will rise first and then we which are alive and remain shall be called up together to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. My dear friend, that's where you find joy. Not this world. Not everything else it has to offer. But Paul's joy was found in knowing Christ. And let me ask you a question. How well do you know him today? How well do you know him today? Verse 12 is where I want to get to. Verse 12 through verse 21. Paul talked about the false teachers. Paul gave us an, an eye inside of his own life. Basically, we have a resume from Paul. If there was anyone who could have boasted within himself, it was me. He said, but I'll put all that to the side. Here's the reason. Verse 12 through verse 21. Did Paul live in a difficult day? Sure he did. The letter to the church at Philippi is known as a prison epistle. Paul had been in and out of prison. Paul had been beaten. Paul had been shipwrecked. Matter of fact, Paul was, in, was thrown out of one town because of the gospel. Left outside the city gates half dead. Those kind of gathered around him that was with him and said... Uh, 
Hey, Paul, you okay? Hey, Paul, you alive? Hey, Paul. He gets back up and he says, Come on, we're going back in for some more. What, 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 what moved Paul? What moved him to that? It was what he had in Jesus Christ. That's what moved Paul that direction. Let me ask you a question. What moves us today? What moves us to the point to serve today? My dear friend, listen to me. There ought not to be enough room inside of our churches for people willing to answer the call to serve wherever it may be. Why? Because we're motivated because of Jesus Christ. That's where our joy is found, not in our selfish ambition, but in our serving of others. That's where we find it. That's what is needed. That is what is necessary. Are we serving? Are we a part of what Jesus Christ is doing? Are we, as citizens of the kingdom, plugged in and involved in what he's doing? Look at verse 12. Paul now writes, he said, Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. Paul said, listen, I by no means, I, listen, I've not reached it. I've not gained it. I'm not there yet. And let me just say this to you as well this morning. I have not obtained. I have not arrived. I'm not, I, listen, I don't have a corner on the market. I'm just trying to do the very best that I can to be what Jesus Christ wants me to be, to be a servant of his and to serve him under whatever magnitude that may be, just so that one day, I can stand before him and not have to be ashamed. He said, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. He said, but one thing I do he said, if there's nothing else, here's what I do do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things that lie ahead. Listen, I can't change the past. I can't go back and undo the past. But I can tell you what I can do. I can hear this morning stand and look forward to what's yet to come and lay hold of it to the very best that I can, looking forward to one day to being with Him. Amen. Verse 14. Now, here's one of the things we like to do. We like to take verses like this and we pull them out. Do you understand what Paul meant when he said, I press on toward the goal? We see Paul here. Paul is giving this illustration from the, from the eyes of an athlete. I press toward the mark. That mark that's out there. It's not laying back. You know, it's not seeing the finish line down there and saying, okay, now I can, now I can slow down. From the athlete, he is, it's pressing in. It's getting down. We know the finish line is coming. And now it's pressing into that finish line. Watching the athletes during Paul's day in the games and all the games and, and all the runners and all the athletes, when it come down to the finish line, that's the time that you pour it on. That's the time that you press in. That's the time that you give it everything that you've got because you're knowing that my time is coming to a close. 
And what I'm going to do for Jesus Christ because of what he's done for me, I've only got the time to do that while I'm alive now. It's coming to an end. And I listen, I know I don't have long left. I turn, I, I'll turn 50 years old in February. Hey, somebody told me 65 is a new 50. Is that true? <laughs> huh? Some of our senior adults are back here going, I don't think so. <laughs> really? I don't know how much time I have left. God does. But you know what? I'm not worried about that. Because what I try to do is get through today. And if he gives me tomorrow, that's wonderful. And I'll do tomorrow as, as, as the best that I can and as much as I can, okay? Until tomorrow's gone. You know, that's why the scripture says a man was going to go into a city to buy and sell. And he said, on such and such a day, I'm going here. And on such and such a day, I'm going to do this. But he was told... James's letter, maybe we should stop and understand if it's the Lord's will that we see that. If God gives us tomorrow, if God gives us next week. Let me ask you a question. How many of us, if God were to bring to a close today our time here on the face of this earth and call us home, would we end the day with regrets? Or would we end the day with joy, knowing that I've done all that I could do? Paul said, I press toward the mark or the, toward the goal, the prize, the high calling, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He said, let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. If in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Let me tell you why they're enemies of the cross of Christ. Because he gives it to us in verse 19. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite. In other words, their own selfish, self-centered desires. And whose glory is in their shame. Who set their minds on earthly. In other words, they get weighted down. That's why the writer of Hebrews said. In running this race. To lay aside the sin that so easily besets us. And to run the race. With everything that we have. Folks, listen to me, it's not about you and I. It is not about us. I love verse 20. For our citizenship is where? Where? How many of y'all are ready to go? Boy, it's awful quiet in here. How many of us are ready to go? I'm not necessarily saying we're going to get on the bus today, but how many of us are looking forward to going to be with him? 
I mean, I'm not looking to get on the bus either today, okay? I'm kind of, I'm enjoying what God's allowed me to do. But if he called me home, what glory that would be. From which also we eagerly wait for a Savior. I don't know about you, okay? I can't wait to see him. I can't wait to see him. I'm longing to see him. I just long to see him. Why? Because he loved me even when I was his enemy. And he died for me. You know something? It's like we were talking about this morning. He moved me from being an enemy to being his child. I just don't know how you get over that. Are you ready for this? I have it. Verse 21. I like this part. Who is going to transform this athletic six-pack abs who will transform this body of human state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself here's what Paul writes Paul writes we look for the Savior you see it's this anticipation of the coming of Christ that motivates the believer with the spiritual mind the spiritually minded believer does not live for the things of this world they anticipate the blessings of the world to come that's what I'm looking forward to this does not listen This doesn't mean that we ignore or neglect our daily obligations by no means. But it does mean that what we do today is governed by what Christ will do in the future. That's what we have. Living in the future tense means letting Christ arrange the things in this life according to the proper rank. So let me ask you a question. Where are our priorities? Where do we rank things in our life today? It means living with eternity's values in view. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 17, we won't go there. You can go there and read it, but John wrote about that very subject. It's about putting eternity in its proper view. It's about having the priorities in the right place. It's about running the race. It's about pressing in and understanding and realizing, huh, it's not about anything we've done, but it's all about what he's done for us. Amen? Let me ask you a question. Have you got over your salvation yet? Please don't say yes, you have. I hope you haven't. If you've never gotten over your salvation, would you stand to your feet this morning as we close this time and look for an invitation time?
If I could encourage your heart with this today, it would be this. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior today, I beg you, I beg you to let him change your life. Those who are watching online with us, if you're there today and need Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, when we understand and realize we're a sinner in need of his grace, and we ask him and call upon him, he'll hear and answer that prayer and come into our heart and life and to save us and to be our Savior. Brother Red's going to come lead us now. As we think about the words of this song, it's all based upon what Jesus Christ has done in our hearts and lives and not us. And so as we sing it together, may we sing it from a heart.